Let's get down, let's get down to business Give you one more night, one more night to get this We've had a million, million nights just like this Episode 13 It's good to be back, Paul It's good to be back It's been fun, right? Mm-hmm. This one's uh, going to be a fun episode But before we get into that Because I think last episode I was saying that We got to talk about like Some of the things that have happened since we were recording Oh, I thought you were going to hit us with a sponsor Do we have sponsors? <laughs> <laughs> probably do i gotta look them up we do we, there's been some people that have been asking you know uh, they're we're waiting for them to send us this, their audio file this episode is brought to you by intact plumbing and mechanical shout out to mike mosca <laughs> my biggest thing that's happened since we were recording the leafs got eliminated to the habs no surprise obviously max i think you probably not surprised by that either not even a bit and the Habs are now in the finals. Like, that's how long it's been. So, yeah, pretty crazy to think about that. And the Euros have started. That's my, my sport. Well, what's good is that cases are lower. More people are getting vaccinated. That's Things right. are opening up. That's so right. we're, we're going to be huge. recording more uh, frequently now. We didn't want to do, like, the recording over uh, Zoom. That's right. Because we didn't want the quality to go down. And we wanted to be in front of each other so we can feed off that's one right. another. So we're very, very, very excited to be back. Absolutely. And this is an interesting episode because this is something that we've taken from a few other podcasts, shout out to a few other ones that do this, where we are now taking, I don't know, can we, can we mention some of the ideas? I don't know if we want to or not, but anyhow, we are taking <laughs> what they do, which is questions from their listeners. And today's episode is really Daniel and I, and then we got Maxi as well, our producer who's going to chime in because it's good to get his perspective who collected some of the questions from listeners that they, what they wanted to hear and what they want to know about. So yeah, my email blew up with a billion questions. I don't, like, where are we going to start right now? What's cool too, is that I think we have some questions from like out of country, right, Max? Yeah. A couple, a couple from and the, out of province from the States. And we got one from Portugal. Oh my, well, ish gosh, Miguel's <laughs> going to be happy about that. Right, Miguel? I mean, Portugal made it through to the final round and now Miguel's, we got a listener from Portugal. I think that's his aunt though. For I think sure. He told me for it's sure. his aunt. It's his aunt or his nonna or something they, like that. I think it's Tia. I think they say, or maybe that's Spanish. Anyways, Meg, Meg, this one's for you when we go to the Portuguese question. But anyhow, so Maxi, let's start with uh, one of those questions. Yeah. Okay, so first question comes from Andy from Newmarket, Ontario. Oh, Andy, I think I know him. I Do think you? you know him too. <laughs> he likes Harvey's, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Top three best decisions made in the first one to two years of business as a mortgage agent. Also, anything you would have done differently. So what's the, one of the best things you did in your first one, two years and something you wish you did differently? Dan, go ahead. I think we're going to break this up. You're going to do it from a leader perspective and I'm going to do it from a agent perspective. Is, sure. that, is that fair? So sure. maybe we should start with you, no? Or do you want me to start with me? Yeah, you start. It's more natural for you. Okay. So, uh, Max, three things that that I did well. Three of your best decisions you made in your first decisions. one to two years. Decisions. Decisions. Mm. And then maybe one that you wish you did differently. So, I don't know if this counts, but one of my the first decisions was to actually join the mortgage sales force. I don't think that counts, does it? Yeah, that's yeah. a good decision. Why not? So, I mean, it's... I, mean like I could have gone down a different path in investment banking and, and that kind of could you wear white belts and suspenders in, in banking of like course, that? Or come, where do you think it's from, Paul? Oh, come on. I digress. Yeah, pink ties, blue shirts, suspenders. No belts, though. The belt was a little bit of a, a mistake. Anyways. You've still been mailing out my mail. Right. Here we go. The day that changed go. everything. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so I, I say, I'd say that's the biggest uh, thing I did well. One of the I, best but, decisions you made, yes. Yeah. Uh, and 
to not to you know pump up this guy's tires anymore because his head's not going to fit through the door at this point is that choosing to go and work for him because as you remember in episode one I wasn't actually going to go work and be on Paul's team I was actually going to go on this uh, other team which I think would have made my path a little bit different so I guess number one is making the step and decision to get into the business and choosing the right leadership that's going to help you uh, get to where you want to be Number two is going to be the excellence of execution. So listening to what proven tactics have uh, from management and leaders and top producers have worked and implementing them 150% consistently over time to see what works for you. To tackle onto that, be a sponge, learn as much as you can. Talk to industry leaders, talk to banks, read broker kits. Don't lean on management to answer your questions when you're in a bind. Try to be resourceful and find them out yourselves because it'll be ingrained in your brain. That's number two. Number three, Paul's going to not like this, but for me, it was I faked it till I made it. You <laughs> I know, knew that was going to come up. I, I actually use that in coaching now I, for some people. I, what, as a negative or a positive? No, I, I tell them I don't like using this, but clearly it works. So, so I'm adding it to my so, arsenal. The second I started being in the mortgage sales force at the bank, I was already a $40 million producer in my head. I did everything in my power to speak like one, act like one, learn like one, and just be part of that elite group of mortgage specialists that can say, you know, we service over a hundred clients a year. We do good business. And that's thanked by our clients and referral sources by more and more business. So my mentality going into the business was that I've already done $40 million. And it helped me when I walk into a room, be confident and not speak from a position of of fear as opposed to a position of conviction. Because I was ready to do that business. I was prepared. I did my research. I knew the products. I knew how to position files. And even if I didn't, I knew that I had a team backing me that is going to help me. So I wasn't afraid. Three things, right? I hit you guys with three things. So those are my three top things. And, and, and that's what really uh, has made me who I am in this business today. And then yeah. you, Go ahead, Max. No, I was going to ask one thing that you wish you had done differently. One thing that I wish I had done differently. One thing I wish I had done differently is hire an assistant sooner. And I think, I think the assistant question is another question that is comes it? on later. So we'll so dive into that, but that's, that's a great point. Yeah. So for me, best decision, obviously when I decided to leave the major institution, I had a few different offers and deciding to join clear trust, obviously shout out to Janice and Robert, uh, a great decision for me. The culture has been incredible. Uh, and I totally believe in everything that, uh, that we do here. Secondly, I think implementing our, our two day new hire training was a great decision and, and bringing that over because I think a lot of people, you know, the, the whole company gets a lot out of that. Obviously this podcast has been, has been great. And I think another, another of my best decisions in the first one to two years have been just opening the horizons with taking on different individuals and challenging myself where, you know, in my previous roles at the bank, they had to have specific experience. So and a lot I want to stop internal. you right there for a second. Yeah. And because I know a little bit of your story and I know like about you personally, both professionally, I think that you defied the law of 
who gets hired for what roles at what time at the bank because you took on a 21-year-old part-time FSR or, or financial services person to do a full-time mortgage specialist role. And I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you were challenged by a lot of your uh, executives for that decision, not only with myself, but with a few others as well. And it's nice and refreshing that it worked out for you in that regard, not to say that you didn't put in a ton of work you did and, and not to say that you didn't go through a lot of challenges because young men maturing is, is, is a challenge, especially in the professional world when we're dealing with you know high volumes and clients and, 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 and tight deadlines and all sorts of things that you had to interject in certain points. But I, I'd like to hear about that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. I've always... As you know, I had a background in recruitment. And so, you know, you can always use the standard behavioral questions and and really get a, a base sense of someone's background. But for me, it sounds silly to say gut feel, but, you know. I don't I, think it's silly. I think, I, it's, I, look, I think it's admirable. And I saw a quote, I got to find it about, you know, your gut feel, you really got to trust it because it, it, it truly is like the perception of what the person, you know, the aura of the person in front of you. What and, about What about the quote? Or the saying that I keep reading everywhere is that employers are asking 25-year-olds to have 15 years of experience before they hire them. Like, where, where, like what are we talking about here? Yeah. Once again, nothing against, everyone's going to have their own, you know me, I respect everyone's opinions. I'm going to do me. And from a leadership perspective, which, which once again, I always say this is my favorite part of, of this job and, and all the jobs I've been in and just in life in general. To me, when I'm sitting, when someone's sitting in front of me and they are pouring out and they're being genuine, and I think I've said this and you guys have seen this, and when someone starts lying to me or, or, or they're, they're not telling me the full story because things happen in anyone's careers, just be honest, be open. You know, it's okay to show fear. It's, it's okay to, to show confidence. It's okay to say why you really want to enter a job. But I took chances on a lot of my hires. I think, you know, I, I've hired probably hundreds. Uh, and if you just look at the mortgage side, close to probably a hundred over my time, uh, both at the bank and here. And I just, I, they stood in front of me and similar to you, Dan, it was really about potential, attitude, what their goals are. And I continue to say this and so many people ask me, you know, what's the secret? And, you know, you and Dan have such of a close relationship and and obviously there's, there's a lot more to it. He calls you dad and he refers to you as his dad and this and that. And it's like, I think I say it and maybe people don't believe me, but similar to you, when I take someone on, I am as invested to their goals as they are. It's really the truth. And so I think I made, so, I made a bunch of really good hires that didn't go sour where my leaders, even if they questioned me about people, they said, you know what? You got your first five, right? So we'll give you, you know, an X factor on this one. And, and you and Miguel were that you know, at the bank, you know, my first hire when I, when I took over that sales manager role was someone that I knew for a, a long time. And, and he was an MCS, which was a manager of customer service, managing tellers. And, and you say, you're bringing someone in like this, like that wasn't common. Um, I didn't always look at the, the standard, oh, they were a salesperson or they were a financial advisor or they were a branch manager. For me, it was about bringing the people in that were ready to work, that had good contacts. Their business plan to me is extremely important, as you know, and just the fit and 
you need to have different, like I build a team just like I told you, like a sports franchise. That's what I was you gonna say, just to sum same, it up, yeah. You can't have all the same people with the same skills. It's just it's just not gonna work. And and in this role, what, what I'm saying from a broker side is I've expanded that even further, right? Because now Janice and I have the ability, and obviously, you know, I'm really the head spear of recruitment to bring on those and and I, I'm looking to take on new challenges as well. Those that are, are looking to do di- business in a different way, which is a lot of fun. So that's great. Did you give us three? Yeah, I said joining Clear Trust, implementing the two-day new hire training, and then obviously challenging myself with hiring different folks. And then what would be your, I guess, one thing you would have done differently? Not hire Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Join a brokerage without Dan. One thing I would have done differently. Honestly, not uh, wear those olive pants. Sorry, your olive pants. <laughs> I don't know. Probably uh, it's got to be something. Everything's everything's gone so good. I mean, with outside of like with COVID or whatnot, what would we have done differently? I, I I I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't I don't think there's anything really at this stage I could say we've done differently. I think that you'll be able to answer this question maybe a year from now. Maybe because we are, as you mentioned, and without giving too many details doing a lot of really exciting things here at Clear Trust. I, don't, I really don't want to give anything away, but in a year's time, because we're trying out so many new things, so many new avenues, trying to refresh the way people do business while given that uh, old school mentality of how to really grow that book. And next year from now, we'll ask you the same question and I think you'll have an answer for us. Yeah, and I think obviously, you know, from a relationship perspective, I've gotten in front of some really, you know, key people and at the partners that we work with. I think... I probably got to add more and I can, I could probably do a better job. I don't feel like I have the same kind of pull as I did when I was at the institution. So maybe that's one thing that I would try to do a little bit differently. But as of right now, maybe outside of getting a bigger office, which who would have thought we would, we're already outgrown it. Yeah. Right. That's really, uh, it's, so. it's fun. It's really, it's really, it's really been a fun ride and we're only at the beginning. Right. Yeah, so it's, it's a joy to come yeah. to work all the time. So hopefully we answered, uh, Andy yeah. from new markets question. There. Great stuff. Let's go right into question two. This one's from Darla from Dallas, Texas. Wow. Oh, Dallas. Go Cowboys. That was booming, man. Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> the Mavs just hired Jason Kidd as the coach today. All right. No, they didn't. Yeah, they, yeah, they did. did. Wow. Yeah. Talking of players going to wow. transition to coaching. We have, wow. a, we have a listener in Dallas, Texas. I've, I've, my, my parents have gone to Texas. I really want to go. But uh, anyways, that's, that's a different story. <laughs> going from an individual operation to getting an assistant, what systems did you implement with that assistant that helped you take your business to the next level? This is all Dan. I don't have to answer Sorry, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even get that. What was it? What, what, did Darla, from, what did Darla say? Going from an individual operation to getting an assistant, what systems did you implement with that assistant that helped you take your business to the next level? We got to get a guest on here that's like super systematic. I don't know if I can say his name, but there's a guy that's part of my, uh, my mastermind group. And the listeners would be blown away at this guy's process. So I've picked apart his brain like a billion times. And he's got an operation with like four or five assistants, two underwriters. Like this guy's the real deal. I'm gonna I'm gonna send him a text, see maybe he'll wanna come on and, and talk to us. And I'm sure I'm sure he'll be receptive to that. But how did I go from a one man operation to more and how did how did that process look like? Is that the question? Basically it's it's what did you implement? Like what process did you implement with your assistant that let you take your business to the next level? So very simple. We assign tasks and we do not deviate from those assigned tasks, no matter what. So I have 
two assistants right now, two assistants right now. One of them does fulfillment and compliance only. One of them, one of them does uh, marketing and CRM only. Un- unfortunately and fortunately, I do all the underwriting now. I've been looking for, for an underwriter for quite some time. It's been just a little bit of a challenge. So I guess if anybody knows anybody, give me a call, 416-550-3101. Once again, 416-550-3101. What a shameless plug. (laughs) But do not, if you assign tasks to your assistant, staff, whoever, do not make them deviate from those tasks. It'll put a chink in the chain, and that's not what you want. Darla. Hit us up. We'd love to open up an office in Texas. Yes, we would. <laughs> and you called me a, a bad plug. Okay. Look, from my, from my perspective really quick, when you say fulfillment and, and compliance, I mean, I'm doing a, a portion of the volume you're doing. So I can only imagine having the amount of fulfillment and, and compliance that you would have to do on your own. I mean, I think that would be that'd be twelve hours a day. Well, I don't. I don't. I work. I work probably 16, 17 hours a day, and I'm not even. I'm not even lying. Uh, you guys can see that. And I haven't done fulfillment or compliance in over two right. and a half years. I haven't so, touched it. Yeah, I th- and I think that just puts into perspective how how important it is for your business to be on that next level, having an assistant or two. Well, uh, you know, at, at this point, we're really looking for an underwriter, potentially another assistant to help grow that. Because really, the focus of my business is for me to be able to be out there and to get the business and only step in when there's a potential fire or not. And kind of have, you know, the, the paperwork and the groundwork being done by my staff, right? So I can coach them and, and educate them and, and train them to do what needs to be done. Because if everybody has an assigned task, it's really not overwhelming, right? A file comes in. You have a five, 10 minute uh, conversation with the client. You let them know who's going to be handling. You have to be upfront with who's going to be handling with what stage. So for example, I do the five, 10, 15 minute interview call. I tell them that my underwriter is going to be doing, uh, collecting the documents, doing the underwriting and, and sending out the approvals. Once that happens, my next assistant is going to take over the fulfillment. Then the next person is going to take over the compliance and the next person is going to take over the after funding process, the gifts, the marketing, the so on and so forth, the cards, right? And then they know so that they don't need Daniel to be involved in every single step. And that's really what I've been growing and trying to achieve so that I can be out on the road. Obviously with COVID, it's a little bit of a challenge, but as things open up, I can be out there. I could be meeting more people. I could be building the brand. I could be building the business. We could be, we could be recruiting more people. And that's really what I want to do. And I don't want to sacrifice the level of service that I've built my business on because of the volume, which at some times it feels like it has to because there's not enough manpower or power to get all the work done in a timely manner. And that's where all the overtime comes in, which is okay. I love my job. I love my role. And I'll sit here all day. You guys know I sleep here sometimes. Like it is what it is. To get to where you want to be, you got to sacrifice a few things, and I'm ready to, do, to make those sacrifices in order to be great. Great answers. Let's jump in right into question number three. This is the exciting one. Okay. Um, from Santiago in Portugal. Santiago. Santiago. I like that. Is that his cousin? Is that Meg's cousin? Oh, it might be. <laughs> Depends on his last name. What's the biggest challenge you faced, and how did you overcome it as a, well, as a mortgage agent? But let's just talk about the biggest challenge you faced, and how did you overcome it? Paul. I'm going to let you uh, spearhead this one. Yeah. The biggest challenge I think I faced on this side, so going from a manager at the bank to here, I think there's a few things. So at the bank, when you're working with uh, your partners and whatnot, you all work for the same company. So you got to come to solutions relatively quickly. You're all kind of pushing for the same thing and, and you you can have different levers to pull for 
responses. Sometimes on this side, there's so many lenders and getting in front of the right people was a challenge. I think that was the biggest challenge is knowing the right contacts. And I think you guys all lean on us for that. Like, oh, I have a deal that's on fire at this lender. Who do I go to? So I think for me, having only one set, a list of names to know, you know, when it was at the risk department, who am I going to? When it was an appraisal, who am I going to? When it was just with an underwriter, who's their manager? And, and now it's with this lender and it's at this stage. And so now you have a list of hundreds of people. How do you know who to go to? And so that's been the biggest challenge for me. And, and, you know, over the last 18 months is finding the proper levers and finding the proper people to go to. And obviously at the bank, I always knew who was the gatekeeper for what. And that made it so much easier for me and my team. And I think anyone that worked for me at the bank could say it was extremely resourceful. And I always found the solution quickly. And over here, it's taken some time to do that. And I still don't have all of them, but I've come quite a long way from that. I think the second challenge, if I, if I take it a step further, is in the broker space, it's not as common to have something as coaching, right? Or something formalized. Yeah, it's not, it's not common. And I think it's even... And, and I hate to say this, is often looked down upon. It is. So there's, I always give the option here. For me, if it's something that people want or any of our agents want, I'm happy to do it on a monthly basis. I found that at the bank, it was every month you had to, you had to do it, obviously. Over here, I found that for those that either aren't valuing the time or they're not implementing. So when we walk away with an action plan, if they don't execute on any of them month after month after month, it's really not valuable for either of us. And that's fine. I mean, for me, I'm not doing it where I, I'm checking a box or I'm doing it because it's part of my bonus structure. Like over here, the people that want to be coached and held accountable, and it's not so much coach. I think they want to hear most, mostly what this is done for is if I talk to another agent and they say, okay, what activities are Daniel doing? What activities are Carlo doing? What activities is Miguel doing? It's really about hearing what other people are doing. What activities is Moosey doing or whoever? It's really, that's what it's about. So learning from what others are doing to see if you can implement that practice. And so I think that's been probably a big challenge here for me to accept that not everyone's gonna want to meet with me every month, right? People might not think that what I'm adding brings value, but it doesn't mean that they're not gonna be successful or do their own thing. And that's no problem for me because I'm gonna strengthen that hour to now be recruiting or working with some, putting out some fires or, or helping agents do different things or meeting with different lenders. So that's been a little bit of a shift where I used to have 25 to 30 hours every month assigned to coaching my agents. Over here, there's so many different things because obviously I'm, I'm, I'm a managing partner here as well. There's, there's a lot of different other things that you got to work on, but those are probably the two biggest things for me, I would say. Can you repeat the question, please? Yeah, it's uh, just what is the biggest challenge you've had to face and, and what did you do to really overcome that? The biggest challenge I had to face was... That's a tough question. Yeah. Who's this from? This is this is Santiago. From Portugal? Yeah. Good one, man. I got a good one. It's really one from the heart. I always understood that underwriters, broker development managers, their managers are our partners. I always knew that. But when you send a file in and they come back to you with 47 million questions or they're declining... It's really easy to blow up and ruin that relationship. And people are people. They're not 
a company, or a computer. When you're speaking to an underwriter or a manager or a business development manager, we have to remember that they're people first. And instead of blowing up, potentially screaming, potentially swearing, potentially doing things that are just not conducive, take a step back and try to understand how you can work together to come to a solution. And it's changed my business because I used to get frustrated and I think anybody would would too. But over time, you learn that you get more just by being nice. So I've taken the approach to really speak to underwriters, their managers, their broker development, uh, uh, sorry, business development managers, to really understand what kind of files are they looking for? If a file comes back declined, can we talk about it? And a lot of them have taken a very receptive approach back to it and now have become more than colleagues to the point where if I have a question, I could just pick up the phone and give them a call as opposed to send them an email and wait for two days. And having that human aspect to it has really changed my business. So take a step back. If you get a decline or if there's something you don't like, take a step back, breathe, understand where they're coming from and approach it from a calm and cool perspective. And I think it's going to allow you to build better relationships over time and do more. Paul, what do you think? Yeah, there's so many challenges on this side. There's so many moving parts. Obviously, Dan, coming from the bank, the process could have been obviously simpler. Uh, Over here, there's additional compliance pieces. There's so many different lenders. You had to learn a lot more policies. And over there, like I was in my answer, the, the original answer was we knew who the gatekeepers were for certain things. Over here, you, you're 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 you got to go to so many different people to get things moving. And you've done an excellent job in creating good relationships with all these lenders. And I think that's one of the biggest struggles for people that are coming over from banks is you have one set of policies, one set of rules, you kind of know everything. There's a lot of challenges on this side and uh, you just got to navigate and really understand, you know, through the beginning customer process all the way to funding and being in touch with the lawyer. It's all key, right? So communication's key and and Paul, let's look at the last call it 4 or 5 weeks. We've been on the phone with the COO of a major bank, a VP of uh of another major bank, the um, uh, another VP from another bank. So things have been opening up and, and they want to talk to us, right? Because we are as much of a partner to them as they are to us. And we are not afraid to say it. We want them to make money. We want them to do well. We want their staff to be happy. And they want the same for us. And when it trickles down and when it, get, when it gets cascaded from the management all the way down to the underwriters, there's a different opportunity for there to be such good business. And Paul, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we've been doing a very good job at that. And, and we don't, we do not abuse those relationships. We only interfere or have them interfere is a better way to say it when it's really, truly something that they, that we need their eyeballs on. Yeah, I agree. I have to give you guys a lot of credit on what you just said. Just from my experience, I mean, I've had I've had things that I all act are life changing, and the world is melting. And you guys really have a good grasp on who should we call? Is this a good time to use this resource, or should we stick with this person? I think you guys are really good at that. So, Polly, Polly likes to call them hail marys. Yeah, yeah, lots of credit. You get, credit you to you get guys a few. I think that's another reason why you know people want to join us. Is for listen, those you, we we pick up the phone, we pick up the phone, and it's it's getting somewhere. It's not you know wait 
47 hours and then you know it, it's getting somewhere yeah and we've when i say hail mary's you, you got to pick your spots you can't go to the people exactly. all the time because they're just going to say you're coming to us for every single thing it's got to be you know urgent and uh, try to navigate that so for sure good stuff good question let's move on this one's from freddie in north miami beach florida florida we're whoa the we're all over the place it's awesome i thought you were gonna say freddie from like the back office here no no, no. <laughs> north miami beach i think paul you really you're really excited for this question Common misconceptions entering this industry. Oh, wow. So many. Uh, it's a big one. I think, you know, the more and more that I talk and I sigh, I talk to so many individuals that are interested in coming and they're so gung-ho and it's like, you know, I'm going to come and I'm going to make, you know, six figures and we're talking like high-end six figures and what what you put in is what you get out and it's like i sit there and i say do you realize how hard it is you know it's funny and this story we'll put into perspective yesterday i was with uh carlo obviously from you know the incredible hulk there and he had a deal that was closing that day it's five, five, 10 to five lawyers saying funds aren't here i'm, I'm leaving the office i'm done at five o'clock and and it was his wife's uh, relative or friends or whatever. And, and it gets even t tougher when you're doing a deal for, for, for those people. It doesn't matter who it is. The customer's freaking out. It's a purchase. Anyways, his wife, shout out to Liz, says to me, I don't know how you guys do it. Like, this is extremely stressful. The fact that you guys are under this much pressure for things that are out of your control, whether the lawyer's closing and has the funds, I just wouldn't be able to do it. And I think the misconception about how easy it is to come in and make money is the, probably the biggest one, I would say, right? And I think the other thing is just coming in and thinking that everyone that tells you they're going to send you deals are going to send you deals. Those are the two biggest ones for me. How about you? I just think that there's, there are so many of them and they all stem from freedom ease of like making money so and making a lot of it and i always tell everybody there are a million things that need to go right for a mortgage to fund and it's so nobody really really takes that to heart but any mortgage agent that's listening to this podcast think about how many things need to go right for a purchase refinance switch to go through and it's mind-blowing. And I think motive for money is important. Yep. Uh, don't get me wrong. But I don't believe that the most successful people in this business are motivated by money, personally. And you hit it on the nail, man. You said, don't expect the people who you think that are going to send you business to send you business. And I think I'm, I'm a walking definition of that because my personal network did not send me business for the first four years of me being in this business. And you know, maybe it was due to me not farming it well enough because I did want to stay away from dealing with friends and family just because there's that added pressure and people, you know, will have somebody to blame and it's, you know, I should have went to the bank or I should have used somebody else. You're my family, you're my friend. I just don't want to deal with that. And I don't know if this is coming across bad, but I just don't do deals for friends and family. And I'm very, very adamant about that. If I have a friend or a family member come to me and say, buying a property and to refinance and say, I'd be happy to be there on the background, 
I will not be doing the file for you. I'm happy to connect you with somebody at the brokerage. And I think, Max, we've done it a few times already. Yeah. It's on my bag. I built my business completely on referral sources and listening to what successful people do and under your watchful eye. And and it's it's been it's been really rewarding for me, both from a monetary perspective and a personal perspective. And and I continue to grow it. But you know, you're not gonna come into this business and you know make five hundred grand just by, you know, sitting in an office and blinking your eyes. There's a lot of hard work that comes into this. And I, I, I don't people, and Max, you know, I think that you should really talk about this because you are new to the industry and I told you how hard it's gonna be. And I hear, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when it comes down to, you know, getting an application, submitting an application, getting an application approved, getting an application fulfilled, getting an application instructed, dealing with the lawyers for it to fund and dealing with the customers post-funding, it's not the easiest, is it? I, it's funny, you, you, the, what you're talking about is, I have a story that's so relatable, is that one of my, my first real big deal, I remember it took, a, it took us, I mean, we were underwriting this file, bringing it to different banks, trying to get the best approval we could, and finally we get the approval, and I'm like smiling ear to ear, and you're like, Max, like, you're just starting the file. Like, the approval is just the first step in a, in a long process of actually getting to closing. And going through, and we had quite a bit of fires to put out with that one, and in the end, I ju- you just realize that it's so so many moving parts that all have to come together, especially on a purchase when you're you have a day where you have to close. The appraisal needs to come in good. The lawyer needs to get instructed. The the title searches have to go like. There's so many little things that you don't even think about on when you first enter this industry. You think, oh, you get the approval, goes to the lawyer, it closes. There's literally 20 things that have to happen in between that, fulfilling conditions and and getting everything just done on time. I think that it's something that if you're if you are thinking of joining this industry, it's just put come in open-minded and don't come in thinking that you know exactly how it works because as if you don't have experience, you you're gonna be in for like a lot of surprises, which I was as well. But I think those surprises also are part of the reason how you how you really grow in this industry and learn is through kind of the process. So so here's what I would say. If you are planning to join this industry, take it from me. I think Paul will agree with me hundred percent. Come in humble and come in hungry. Yeah. And you will rip it apart. But if you come in with a chip on your shoulder and not willing to put in the hard work and do what needs to be done and, and you know, be in the trenches and work really, really hard, it's just not for you, unfortunately. We have people here and that have been in the industry that have made the switch to being a broker, thinking that all their clients were going to right away as soon as they called them, just switch. It's not how it works. We, we, and we told them, you know, make the calls, do the prep work you before you to, leave. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, the clients are going to do what's most co- like convenient for them. It's got to make sense money-wise, financially. And it doesn't mean they won't come back to you, but you can't just be discouraged by that. And there's people that have a full database that they've been doing this for years and past clients. And at the beginning, there's a struggle. And that's why when you come in, you can't just rely on one set of past clients or certain referral sources, you got to continue to build that. And the activities are going to be key. And for people that don't have that, that speak to me and say, oh, it's going to be, you know, I'm going to get deals from here and there, and I'm going to do 50 or 60 million in my first year. It's like, I would love that. But <laughs> of course there's <laughs> only, there's less than 5% of people in this industry doing over $50 million in funded volume as an individual, mm-hmm. like without a team. And out of that 5%, probably less than 1% are doing that in their first year. 
yeah. without any prior mortgage experience. And I don't mean to sound like a Debbie Downer, but I've been around the industry long enough to see it. And if you are that rookie of the year, or you are that special person that this was your calling, there's, there'd be, make me, there's nothing in the world that would make me more happier than seeing that. But I think people need to be realistic with coming into this and understanding how they gotta be. They got to be realistic and they also have to be prepared. You know, expect to not make any money in your first year. Expect to reinvest money back into your business. Make sure that if you're leaving a, a salaried role, make sure you have the line of credit in place. Make sure you have some savings in place for at least 12 months. It's a rewarding business, but a challenging one at that. So I think that's where we should uh, it's the best finish business with that. in the world. I agree. I, I agree. And, and and you know, and it's it's so easy to tell because the amount of new registrations for mortgage agents keeps growing and growing and growing. I believe we're over twenty thousand at this point. I agree. Is there any more questions? I think that's good. I think we're at the highest episode. I know, but there should be number. one more question. We'll do it quick. No. Is there okay. one more question? Is there one more? There is one more question. Okay, I'll do quick. Quick. Who's it from? Just this you answer. This okay. one's from Derek in New York. To say, well, I love New, New York. York. I love New York. I, I, we Start spreading the news. <laughs> I strategically there is There places. is a code amongst men who, is, who have shaken Frank Sinatra's hand. New York, New York. Best practices for building partnerships with referral sources. Successes, do's and don'ts. So, so I'm going I'm to be quick on this one because I know Paul's already having like a little bit of a panic attack over there. We're, we're over 40 minutes. Real. Be honest. Okay? Be honest. I understand I tell people to fake it till they make it. But be honest and be and communicate well. If they give you the opportunity, which you should always be asking for the business, so ask for the opportunity to do the, to do the business, be honest with them. If something's going wrong, tell them what's going wrong and how it's going to be fixed. Keep them in the loop. You never want them to be in the dark. And tell them, you know, if you're new, how much, how available you are, okay? If you're faking it until you're making it, let them know that you have an experience. And if you don't have the experience yourself, that you have a team behind you that will help you with that experience, honesty and humility is the way to go. And I know that we're a little bit over time, so maybe we can do another session with questions again. My one thing to add to this, and I tell this to everybody, and maybe I'm giving a secret out because I, I tell all of our agents this, when you're working with referral sources, it is not just about you and getting the deal. It's about growing your business together and reciprocal. Recipro reciprocal. It's, yeah, reciprocity. Reciprocity, there we go. Reciprocated business. Right. It needs to be a partnership, which means it's two ways. And you need to understand their business. They need to understand your business. And I think those are the best partnerships versus- And they're forever lasting. They are. So that's what I would say. That's a wrap. Great episode. It was Excellent. awesome. Thanks yeah. for all the questions. I didn't yeah. even realize we had that many listeners. Awesome. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Give you one more night, one more night to get this. We've had a million, million nights just like this So let's get down, let's get down to business